don't know how many of you have flown lately, uh, but I saw a news report this week. Apparently, there is a, a huge rash or uptick in unruly passengers on flights. I don't know if you've seen some of the stories that are, that are happening. There have been quite a few of these, even involving some off-duty flight attendants and things like that. Uh, thankfully, I have never experienced that on any flights that I have been on personally, although I have been on a few where there were some a little bit rude people. But uh, it reminded me of a story I heard about one flight attendant who was helping to get everybody <clears throat> onto the plane and get them to their seats. And as the flight was getting ready to take off, there was one gentleman who was in the front of the plane who was just really making some inappropriate remarks and gestures toward this uh, this young flight attendant and to make matters worse even though she did nothing to incite this from him to make matters worse there was a guy in the back of the plane who was doing the same thing and making some inappropriate comments and behaviors toward her and so as the plane began to land the man at the front of the plane went way over the line and he grabbed her by the arm and he put in her hand a note and a key and on the note it said meet me at this address or he said meet me at this address at nine o'clock so she walked to the back of the plane and handed the note to the gentleman at the back of the plane and said meet me at this address at nine o'clock <laughs> handed him the key as well the moral of the story is wrong things happen when we ask for the wrong things. And so we're in the midst of a series we started last week called Praying for Rain. And in this series, we're learning from the greatest prayer instructor ever about what it means to pray and ask for the right things. And it's always right for us to pray to get rained on. And that's what Jesus is teaching us that prayer is for. The Bible says in Luke chapter 11, verse 1, one day uh, Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. And now if you've read through the Gospels, you know that his disciples asked him quite a few dumb questions. But they got this one right. Lord, teach us to pray. And listen, they prayed all their lives. So they're not asking him to teach them to do something that they've never done. But they're asking him to teach them to do it in a way that they've never done it. Because when they listened to Jesus, they realized we don't know how to pray for rain. And Jesus' response to their request is what is often called, what we often call, the Lord's Prayer. And so we're walking through the Lord's Prayer just for four weeks, and hopefully we're asking the same thing that those early disciples asked of Jesus. Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. So as we get started today, we're going to say the Lord's Prayer uh, together. And I told you last week, for those of you who are with us, we... Um, I put the words on the screen last week. I'm not going to do that this week. Uh, my guess is it's probably going to be a tad bit quieter uh, as we say that because it's a lot easier to be loud when you know the words. Uh, but we're going to try it anyways, and I, hopefully I'll maybe drown a few of you out. But I'd like for you to at least say as much as you know. And if you know the King James Version, then go ahead and, and say, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom. You can say whatever version you grew up learning. Uh, but we're going to try and say this together, and I hope you're memorizing it. I hope you're uh, learning it. Maybe you already learned it. Uh, I think it's a good thing. I think it's good to memorize Scripture and prayer. I think it's good to teach our children this. Your children can learn this without knowing how to read. So I hope you're doing those things. But for now, we're going to say the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. 
Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Good job. Now that prayer is very countercultural. It goes against the predominant worldview that says that the highest purpose of life is to seek and pursue the satisfaction of our desires. And our culture disciples us to think in this way. That's why in pretty much any poll that is done, survey that is done of our culture, when you ask people, what's the purpose of life? What's the goal of life? The overwhelmingly number one answer always is to be happy. To be happy. The purpose of life is to do whatever I must do so that I can be more happy. And rather than challenging what is a small and rather self-absorbed view of life, too often the church has kind of embraced it and immersed it and said, well, okay, sure, come to church and we'll teach you the Christian way to make life all about you being happy. And we did this, I think, in many ways by misteaching the purpose of prayer. I think that's one of the things that we did. And so oftentimes things are taught, and you'll see this in, in, in mainstream uh, Christianity, this idea of, well, you just need to name it and claim it, right? God's already signed the check, and it's blank, and you just need to fill it in because prayer, through prayer, you can have the life that you've always wanted. And so prayer became a way for us to try and bend the will of God. But Jesus says that prayer is more about finding the will of God. That the purpose of prayer is not for me sending my want list so that God can have it and do what I want, but rather it is for bending my want list so that it lines up with God. Because here's the point, the first point we're going to look at, and that is that kingdom prayer wants what God wants. I mean, that's really the, 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 the foundation for what prayer is about. Kingdom prayer, true prayer, wants what God wants. How many of you, uh, when you go out to eat, and this is probably at a restaurant that you maybe have never been to, but how many of you, don't, ha, don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you will ask the waiter something along the lines of, what do you recommend? Or what, you know, what's, what's good on the menu? Or what are you guys uh, known for? Uh, I don't know how many of you do that. My other question would be, how many of you actually take the waiter up or waitress up on what they say? I have a habit. Sometimes I'll ask them and then I'll just order what I usually do, right? Uh, you know, whatever, especially if they say something that doesn't sound good. Um, but I, I heard about one guy. How many of us would take it this far? I heard about one guy who has the habit of never even looking at a menu, but rather just simply saying to the waitress, you order whatever you want me to have and that's what I'll eat. How many of you would go that far? I know my kids would definitely not go that far, uh, and I know I wouldn't have gone that far. I, you know, maybe I'll, again, I'll ask the question, hey, you know, what do you recommend? What are you known for? And then maybe I'll you know, take that into, uh, to, into account. But I'm, I'm in the end going to keep veto power, right? I'm not going to let someone else tell me what I should want. But that's exactly what Jesus says prayer is all about. In fact, the heart of the prayer is in verse 10. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see, prayer is not for getting my will done in heaven, but prayer is for getting God's will done on earth. And I think this is such a huge 
paradigm shift. I mean, we, we like to say the right things, but in reality, I think this is such a huge paradigm shift for us. You mean prayer is, is not all about getting what I want so that I can be happy? And it's why so often when people are frustrated and they say, God just isn't answering my prayers, right? God, God just isn't ask, answering what I am praying to him for. What they really mean is God isn't doing what I want because I made it very clear, God, what you should be doing and what I would like for you to do. And yet he's not cooperating. But Jesus is not praying or not saying that you and I pray to advance your kingdom. He's teaching you to pray, God, your kingdom come. It's the passion of discipleship. It is the mission of the church, and it starts with a prayer to be reigned on. Your kingdom come. Those may be three of the most powerful words in the entire Bible. And I want us to consider what we are actually saying when we say your kingdom come. First, here, here's the first thing I think. Your kingdom come is an admission of surrender. Your kingdom come is an admission of surrender. You know, one of the things these words imply, your kingdom come, is that there's more than one kingdom. That there's not just one kingdom, there's more than one kingdom, and that you have made a choice. When you pray that prayer, you have made a choice. Because you see, all kingdoms are vying for your allegiance. All kingdoms are vying for your obedience. And so you've got to choose which one you are going to follow. So several years ago... Um, Burger King, obviously well-known burger franchise here in, in America, was launching their first uh, store, first restaurant ever in the country of Belgium. And they did so by stirring up a, a little bit of controversy because they did it with an online poll. So what they did, and you've seen the commercials probably of the Burger King King guy, and they, they'd had a picture of him, <clears throat> and then they had a picture of King Philippe, who was the king of Belgium, and they put them beside each other, and they said, okay, we want you to vote on who is the real king. Well, the royal family did not take a very good liking to that, and they let the Burger King people know very quickly that they did not appreciate, nor did they approve of the ad, because there is only one king in Belgium, and that is not up for election. But listen, discipleship begins with the decision, who is the real king? That's where discipleship begins. Who is the real king? That's why Jesus begins his ministry with this message, and he preached it throughout his preaching. Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15 says, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God, the gospel, in other words. Now, we tend to think of the gospel. If I said gospel to you, we tend to think of, well, that's the, the message that my sins can be forgiven. That, that I can, you know, ha have my sins washed away, I can be forgiven, have a hope uh, of eternity. And it is that, but it's more than that. It's bigger than that. Listen to what else Jesus says. The time has come, he says, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Jesus says, I've got some good news. A better kingdom has shown up. And you don't have to spend your life pursuing these petty and self-absorbed kingdoms offered to you by the world. You see, when Jesus says repent, we often hear that as a, as a rebuke. But when Jesus says repent here, it's really an invitation it's really a calling to, to say, you can get in on this. 
God is doing something amazing in this world and he's got great plans and he's intending to reign over the whole world and you can get in on it. You can be a part of it. And so instead of using prayer as a way to use God, the good news is Jesus says that instead it is a plea for God to use us. That the good news is that God has invited us to partner with him. And bringing his reign to the earth. And so that's what we ask for. That's what we are asking God for. Which means we start by asking God to take over the territory in our hearts. Because, you see, you can't pray with integrity. I, I, I mean, I, I think most of us were praying that prayer. But we need to be careful in praying those prayers. Because you can't pray with integrity and pray your kingdom come. And then practice selective obedience. We can't pray, God, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven and then go out and live the way that we want to live. You're lying to God. You're lying to yourself, but you're more importantly lying to God. You can't pray your kingdom come if you're just going to go out and do what you want, live the way you want. It doesn't work that way because your kingdom come is a prayer of total Surrender. It's not asking as much as it is offering. It's not giving God your list as much as it is enlisting, which brings us to the second point, because your kingdom come is a declaration of war. Your kingdom come is a declaration of war. Now, I don't have to tell you that things on earth are not the way they are supposed to be. And as disciples, we will always pray with with a certain measure of holy discontent until heaven and earth are completely united. But that shouldn't stop us from praying. In fact, it ought to make us more resolute in our prayers because we need more heaven on earth. Amen? I mean, we live in a world where, it's just, I, I mean, I'm going to be blunt, where thousands of little girls are sold into slavery to do unspeakable things. We need more heaven on earth. We live in a world where more money will be spent on pornography than Major League Baseball, National League Football, and the NBA, National Basketball Association, will make combined. We live in a world where hundreds of thousands of babies are aborted every single year. We need more heaven on earth. And so prayer is an act of rebellion against the way things are. We're asking for the enemy to be displaced. We're asking for the kingdom of darkness that is in illegitimate possession of God's earth to be pushed back. In December of 1944, U.S. Army General Creighton Abrams, who is named after the, or he is, the tank is named after him. I got confused for a second. The Abrams tank is named after him, so pretty well known. But he was leading Allied forces in World War II at the uh, Battle of the Bulge in Europe. And he was completely surrounded by the Nazi forces, the Nazi army. And so he got his officers together, and with charismatic optimism, he said, Gentlemen, for the first time in the history of the campaign, we're surrounded on the north and on the south and on the east and on the west. We can now attack the enemy in all directions. And so can we. No matter where we look, 
Because God wants to reign over the whole earth. And the enemy does not have an anti-defense, anti-prayer defense system. There is nothing the enemy can do about our prayers. I often find I just had a conversation, you know, with somebody this, this past week. Uh, and they came into the office and, and asked for prayers. And I said, if there's anything else that I can do. And their response to me is, that is the best thing we can do. And it just comes out sometimes. We don't mean to say it, right? But it truly is the best thing we can do. And there is no defense against the prayers of the saints. The enemy has no anti-prayer defense system. Do you remember when uh, coalition forces invaded Iraq some years ago? And it was groundbreaking how the coalition forces were able to bomb specific locations with such um, incredible accuracy. And the reason they were able to do that is because they had troops embedded in Iraq. And these troops had lasers. And they would point the lasers and the rockets or the missiles would follow where the lasers uh, had them to go. And so they were able to, to bomb these locations with such incredible accuracy. I'm not saying that's exactly how prayer works, but I guess I am saying that's kind of how prayer works. We get to say, Lord, we need some up there, down here, right there. And the enemy cannot stop us. He can stop a lot of the things that we do, and he can work and, and thwart some things. The enemy cannot stop the prayers of the saints, although he wishes he could, because he does not want God's kingdom to come. Have you ever considered the Lord's prayer from Satan's perspective? Everything Jesus teaches, about, teaches us about in the Lord's prayer is pushing back against the kingdom of darkness. Give us this day our daily bread. Satan doesn't want people to have, our, you know, us to have our daily bread. He wants us to live in a world of haves and have-nots and greed and hoarding and poverty because that's where his kingdom thrives. He doesn't want God's kingdom to come. He doesn't want a world where people confess their sins, bring things into the light. He wants a world where we hide our junk. We look the part, but behind the scenes, it's not pretty. He wants a world where we live with guilt and shame because that's how his kingdom thrives. He doesn't want God's kingdom to come. He doesn't want a world where, where we forgive people and we get rid of our resentment and we get rid of our bitterness and we love our enemies. He wants a world where vengeance and hate is the norm because that's how his kingdom thrives. He doesn't want God's kingdom to come. And so Satan says, go ahead and pray your petty little prayers. Go ahead and pray for your kingdoms and your comfort. Pray that life is just like you want it. Just don't pray for the world to realize and experience the reign of God. That's why we cannot allow ourselves to be distracted or intimidated because you and I are at war. We are at war. You know, the first time the church was threatened for preaching Jesus by authorities that had the power and the influence and the means to be able to carry out their threats, they got together. And, and in Acts chapter 4, verse 24, it says, When they heard this, 
They ra- this is the early church. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. In other words, we know who the real king is. We know who the real king is. Verse 29. Now, Lord, they said, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your words with great boldness. In other words, their prayer was, God, we want what you want. And what you want is the message of Christ to be preached. And so give us the courage to keep preaching. Whatever the cost is to us, God, we're praying for what you want. You see, in Jesus' name, it is not just a, like a hashtag. It's not just a slogan that we slap onto the end of our prayers. Jesus' name, do you know what Jesus' name means? It literally means God saves. Jesus means God saves. Saves. And so when you pray in Jesus' name, you're saying, God, I asked for what I just asked for because it will help bring salvation, the salvation of Jesus to the world. And that's what you want. And so that's what I want. I want the salvation of Jesus to come to the ends of the earth. And it will, because here's the last point. Your kingdom come is an expectation of victory. It's not an anticipation. It's not an empty hope. It is an expectation of what will come. Now, sometimes it feels like heaven and earth are never going to get together. And I know you read the headlines and you watch the stories and it's hard, right? And even the things that we experience in this life are hard. You know, Marcy and I, a couple of weeks ago, went down, and the kids too, because we didn't get to leave them there uh, here. But we, we took all we took them too. But we we went down to Arkansas to see my grandmother, and when we're driving down, there's uh, a church that we always pass. It's right off the interstate. It's, it's impossible not to see it um, for a couple of reasons. One's that, one, it's right off the interstate. But the other reason is because it's got an incredibly large blue, bright blue roof. Which is probably why they named it the Blue Roof Church. They got real inventive on naming the church. Uh, and I'm not trying to be critical or, or anything like that. I, although I do, it is weird sometimes seeing different um, names of churches. But perhaps the oddest and the saddest that I heard about is a church called the Little Hope Baptist Church. And every time I think about that church, every time I see that church, the Big Blue Roof Church, I think of that church and I think of some of the funny names of churches, and I think of the Little Hope Baptist Church, and those may be the sweetest people in the world, kindest, loving, generous people in the world, but they've got to change the name, because who wants to go to the church of Little Hope, right? You see, it's hard to pray fervently when you're not praying expectantly. In other words, it's, it's hard to pray with zeal and passion if we don't really expect what we're praying for to be answered. So let me ask you a question. Is Jesus teaching us to pray a prayer that has no possibility of being answered? Is Jesus teaching us to pray a pointless prayer? I don't think so. In fact, I I know that's not the case. I don't think your kingdom come is just some casual request. I believe that it is a coming reality. I believe that one day God's will really will be done all over the earth. I believe that one day only one kingdom will reign. 
I believe John saw a vision of this in his revelation when he said in Revelation chapter 17, verse 14, they will wage war against the Lamb and the Lamb will triumph over them because He is the Lord of lords and the King of kings. And notice this, with Him will be His called, chosen, and faithful followers. You see, God's not just going to reign over all the earth, but He wants to do so and to use us to help bring the kingdom to the earth. And so we're not going to be depressed by, we're not going to be distracted by the way things are. We're going to live in the future tense. And we're not going to allow, allow what is to keep us from living and praying for what ought to be and for what one day will be. Because God, His dream for earth is heaven. And it's not a pipe dream. God gets what he wants. And what God wants is what we would want if we were able to open our eyes just a little bit wider to the beauty of the kingdom of God. So I've got to tell one of my favorite jokes. One because I want to, the other one because it fits here. Um, but the story goes that there's a guy who came into the office one day and he had a big box of donuts in his hand and his co-worker said well I thought you you know thanks but I thought you were cutting out donuts your doctor said to cut out donuts because you needed to go on a diet and the guy said yeah but you know I drive by the donut shop on my way to work every day and there's a big sign that says fresh hot donuts and I thought well if God must really want me to have a donut so I prayed God if you want me to have a donut then you make there be a parking space right in front of that donut shop and sure enough, the eighth time around, there it was. <laughs> you see, we were taught that prayer is how we try to convince God of what we want. But Jesus says, no, God, prayer, prayer is where God works in your heart so that you start to want what God wants. And what God wants is for us to want His reign. And it really is good news. God, God's, you know, we live in this world where somehow the word of God gets distorted that, that to live the way God calls us to live is somehow going to make your life miserable and exhausting. I literally had a conversation not just more than a couple of weeks ago with a young man who, who was feeling that way. But it's not meant to be that way. It's meant to be liberating. It's meant to be uplifting. It's meant to be life-giving. It's what we were made for. It's what we were created for. And it is the right thing to ask for. And Jesus didn't just teach it. He prayed it. And so it's the night before he's about to die and the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness are about to have the, the greatest conflict, the largest conflict they've ever had. And Jesus goes and he does some business with his father. And the Bible says in Matthew chapter 26, verse 39, going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and he prayed, my father, if it's possible, if there's any other way, may this cup, the suffering be taken from me. But then he prayed just like he taught us. Yet not as I will, but as you will. And because he prayed that prayer, curtain was torn and a way was made for you and me to go right into the throne room of God. 
with our prayers.